we're in that last part here in investing in one another. Now, we've thought through what counseling is. We've thought through heart issues. Uh, we've thought through listening and asking questions. And now we're going to think a little bit about our relationship with each other. What does it mean to be invested in one another within a congregational context? I want to start with a story about a young lady who was in our congregation. Uh, she, was, uh, she was in our congregation, and she was really struggling. And there was a, a wife who had adopted her, really, had been discipling her, had her over for meals, had been helping her out. And the wife called an evangelical psychiatrist that had gotten involved in this young lady's life and asked a really important question. She asked, to what extent should I be involved in this young lady's life, especially since they're getting more severe? What did the psychiatrist say? The psychiatrist said, stay out. Uh, let the professionals handle it and just take time to pray for her. Well, is that right? <laughs> Should the, the everyday Christians in a local church, when they see a significant problem in someone's life, should they back away from the problem or should they actually step towards the person? Obviously, you can see where I'm going to go with this. I think it's really important as members in our own church with one another to know what it means to be invested in each other's lives. And not just building relationships we're talking about, but even being willing to be invested in the hard things, to be willing to come alongside people who are struggling with things. I think a lot of people make false assumptions uh, about how Christians should interact with professional help. Many Christians think that discipleship, their spiritual growth, and the care of Christians is the responsibility of professional pastors and counselors and not the congregation. Now, I'm not against professional pastors or counselors. I am, in fact, both of those things. I'm not against doctors being involved. I was training for medicine before I switched over into full-time ministry as a pastor. But in, in, in all of those arenas, what we don't want to do is leave it all to the professionals and then back away. We have a role to play as Christians and fellow members in the same local church. I want to argue today that the congregation has a responsibility to disciple and care for one another in the Word. Members of the same local church have a fundamental responsibility to counsel one another in the Word. Now, where do I get this from Scripture? I think there are a number of ways to demonstrate this from Scripture, but I think the most straightforward way to do this is simply look at the one another text. I listed them out there for your, listed them for you on your handout. I just want you to hear these one another texts. A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this all men will know you are my disciples if you love one another. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourselves. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another, for he who loves his fellow man has fulfilled the law. Accept one another then, just as Christ has accepted you, in order to bring praise to God. I myself am convinced, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, complete in knowledge, and competent to instruct one another. Be completely humble and gentle, be patient, bearing with one another in love. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God has forgiven you. 
and therefore encourage one another and build each other up, just as in fact you are doing. These passages are speaking to Christians, and the general direction of all these texts are to oblige Christians, fellow members in the same church, to love one another. So to be devoted to each other, to honor each other, to accept each other, be patient with each other, to be kind and compassionate to each other, to forgive one another, and even to instruct one another. So what we see fundamentally in Scripture that we have a responsibility to care for each other and be a part of each other's lives. Making disciples and counseling with God's Word is supremely the work of the church. Not professional pastors, counselors, or even parachurch workers. Now, there are a lot of parachurch organizations that are doing really good work in discipling and helping come alongside people. So in my story, I went to a secular university in Washington, D.C. It's what brought me to the city and got very involved in a varsity Christian fellowship. I'd just become a Christian. And so uh, my freshman year, a thousand-person dorm, by God's kindness, the only Bible study in a 10-floor, 1,000-person dorm was right across the hallway. So I ended up going to that Bible study as a brand-new believer, and Edwin Weaver, this big, burly guy, a senior, was leading the Bible study. Halfway through the year, Edwin says to me, somebody needs to disciple you. <laughs> somebody needs to be invested in your life. So there we were. The rest of that spring semester, uh, I, I, I met with Edwin every Friday in the student center, he opened up the Word, and that was the first time somebody in one-on-one context took me through Scripture and helped me to understand how to study my Bible. Early on Friday morning, the, the one of two mornings I could sleep in, Edwin made me come and study the Bible with him. <laughs> but I was there, and I learned, and I grew, and that was really good for me as a Christian, as a young believer in college. So I'm grateful for all of the parachurch organizations that are doing fruitful work. But here, here's my problem with that. I think, especially if you think about the 20th century, as colleges and universities blossomed throughout the country, what happened is parachurch organizations stepped in where the church failed to get to the campus. And so I, I, I don't want to denigrate any of their work. I'm really grateful for their work, and yet... I think we have a fundamental responsibility in our own local churches to be faithful in discipling one another and be invested in each other's lives. The church is the best context for discipling and counseling relationships. The church should be the normative place for Christian relationships and Christian discipling. Consequently, I want to contend that the church is the normative place for Christians to work out their problems, to be honest with one another, to grow in faith, and to build relationships. Now, uh, I, I saw, as I was looking through the website, that you have a church covenant, but I, I pulled a couple of lines from our church's covenant just to model for you what I think is being described and asked of Christians. You know what a church covenant is. It's a, it's a summary of how we're to live with one another as Christians uh, overall. Uh, churches for hundreds of years had covenants and had adopted them as a, just a summary of what Scripture says, the responsibilities of Christians towards one another. So here's lines from our church's covenant. It says, we'll work and pray for the unity of spirit and the bond of peace. 
will walk together in brotherly love as becomes the members of a Christian church and will exercise affectionate care and watchfulness over each other and faithfully admonish and entreat one another as occasion may require. We'll rejoice in each other's happiness and endeavor with tenderness and sympathy to bear each other's burdens and sorrows. And we will seek by divine aid to live carefully in the world, denying ungodliness and worldly lusts and remembering that as we have been voluntarily buried by baptism and raised again from the symbolic grave, so there is on us a special obligation now to lead a new and holy life. Now, a catchphrase that our staff often uses to describe what I'm talking about is a culture of discipling. What do I mean by that? The culture, by culture, we mean the whole personality of the congregation is one of making and shepherding disciples. Our hope is that every member catches a vision for this. How do we get this kind of culture? Well, it's not a program, but something that's ingrained into the DNA of the church. So we as pastors work to set the expectations, and the members are supposed to care for one another with the word by teaching the expectations as new people join the church. So when somebody comes and joins the church, we teach a class on this about the responsibility to be invested in each other's lives by explaining our church covenant and talking about the importance of that. And by helping others to catch the vision for doing this. How do I know how to disciple someone? Well, because Edwin did that with me. And he, he discipled me. And then Matt did that with me. And then Mark did that with me. I have a long line of men, when I was a young Christian, who invested in my life. And so it becomes more natural to me to teach others how to do, uh, to do this for others because I, it has happened for me. Others have discipled me. So I replicate what I learned in discipling. And I teach members how to handle the word thoughtfully and carefully. Well, why do we do trainings? Why do I study scripture with other people? Why do we do inductive Bible studies? Because I want to help people understand how to faithfully handle the word in their relationships with others. And we teach others how to apply the word to other people. The centerpiece of this discipleship culture are members teaching one another from God's word with a goal of growing in personal holiness. Now, often I, I, I communicate this. I talk about the importance of all of us being invested in each other's lives and the importance of having a culture of this. You know, a bunch of members understanding that this is the basic responsibility for Christians. And so they initiate investing other people's lives. And then I, I, I get people saying, wait, but you, you're the counseling guy. You know, if, if I do this, people are actually going to open up to me. I'm going to have to deal with their problems. <laughs> you know what this is going to require of me? <laughs> you know what I'm going to have to begin to do if, you, if, if I take the time to invest in these relationships? I don't think I know how to do that. <laughs> I don't think I know how to help other people. I don't even know how to do that in my own family. Now you're asking me to do that with church members. Well, if you're a Christian and you seek to live faithfully, and live according to God's word, there's always, I'm going to say it again, always, oh yeah, I'm going to say it again, always something you can do to help. You may not be like the lead counselor. You may not be sorting through deep heart issues in a tragic situation. 
You may just be getting together and praying with the person. But that's not anything little. That's huge for someone who's going through a hard season. So there's always something you can do to help. So when we're coming alongside someone, we want to think through how to be a part of their life. And I want to just give you a little quick example. I'll just take the example of a friend who shows up and say they're having marital conflict. A close friend says, my wife and I are not getting along. Or a close friend says, my husband and I are not getting along. And you're sitting there at Starbucks having coffee with them, and they just tee that up for you. What are you going to do with it? Suggestions. What do you want to do with that? So, for example, what do you want to ask them at that moment? Some specifics. Okay, so, yeah, what do you mean by you're not getting along? And can you give me more specifics about what's actually going on? Good, what else? How long it's been going on? So can we understand, has it been a week or a day or a year? What else? Yeah, okay, so what does the conflict look like? And remember, the introverted couple says it's nuclear. (laughs) And you don't want to presume exactly what that means. So I'm going to ask then, okay, what do you mean by nuclear? What else? Is it one-way conflict? So is it basically somebody, uh, your spouse is arguing with you or you're arguing with them? And they're just sitting passively and receiving it. Have you already called Brian and found out what he has to say about the situation? Yeah, good. How's it affecting you? What's it done to you? What kind of sin is going on within you that you're wrestling with? Yeah, what's your responsibility in this situation? Where do you need to take responsibility for your own sin? What else? Yeah, so... Be sympathetic. I'm sorry that you're going through this. What else? How are you interacting with God in a situation? Great. So uh, we live in two planes. We always live in the vertical and the horizontal. And so not staying focused on the horizontal, but also thinking about the vertical. Good. What else? Yeah. How do you see this being resolved? So where, where do you want to go with this? What kind of solution is there? What's our goal in getting? What are we trying to get to? Okay, now think about Scripture. Just offer me a few texts that you might bring up if it's a marital conflict and the person is expressing hopelessness in their situation in marriage. Pick a couple of texts. Okay, and tell us what Philippians 4, 6, and 7 is. Oh, good, excellent. So both anxiety and the peace of God that will guard me in this. Good, what else? Yeah, good. God is up to good in both of you in this situation. He's, he's going to work out. He's going to complete what he started. What else? Mm-hmm. Romans 5.8. Good. So give them the gospel right there. Good. What else? Yeah, Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in times of trouble. Yeah, and there's a lot in Isaiah. So if we just took one of the, the, the most well-known texts, like Isaiah 53. He said not only the gospel of the suffering servant, but even a, a, a suffering servant who is well acquainted with our grief and sorrows. Good. What else? Yeah. Luke, Luke 1, 39. Nothing is impossible with God. Yeah, so listen. Okay, here we go. You're, you're not a, you know, a professional counselor like Wes or, or, or Brian, but 
what did you do? You just asked a lot of questions and you offered a lot of texts. There is something you can do in the moment. There, there is something you can do to help them if they talk about a difficult thing. You don't have to pretend to put on the counseling hat. You just need to be a Christian who's willing to be honest and open and share and encourage and sympathize. And often what is lacking in us is not the willingness, because many of you are here on a Saturday wanting to build relationships. So you're clearly the committed folks who want to do this. But the confidence, we lack significant confidence to know, uh, to, to, to be willing to step in because we think, I can't do this. I'm not a professional. I don't know how to do this. Well, I'm not asking you to be a professional. I'm asking you to be a Christian. I'm asking you to live out what it means by faith to just care for other people. And often we lack the confidence to step into really hard things. You know, that wasn't what I was planning for coffee with my best friend. (laughs) For him or to her to say, my marriage is in trouble. (laughs) I'm having a really hard time. And I haven't shared it with you because I was too embarrassed to tell you. Okay, well, I wasn't expecting that. But this is the moment that God has brought for us right now. And I got to do something with it. So often what we're lacking is the confidence because you have the Holy Spirit and you have your Bible. You have a community of saints and you have elders and pastors who are here to help you. You, You've got everything you need, so you just need to trust not ultimately in your own confidence, but confidence in the Lord that he can do something with you in that moment. And that's what God wants to do. He wants to do something with you in that moment. So I love it. I didn't have to give you the questions. I didn't have to give you the text. You guys did a great job in demonstrating you have a lot to offer in these conversations to help other people. So recognize all that God has given you to be able to do this. Now I need to land the plane, so we're almost at the end here. I can see us pulling into the airport. We can see the runway in the distance. We're pulling in right now. You see in that last part, like uh, uh, on the handout, when do we turn to pastors for help? Because you don't want to, I'm not saying to you, you, you need to be the only one to do this. We, we need to think through like, okay, when do I give a phone call to any of the pastors or elders in the congregation to say, uh, can you step in and help us too? <laughs> and you see the examples here. If you know the person's problem is significant and that no one or really very few folks know about it, you can either encourage them to speak with a pastor or get permission to talk with a pastor on their behalf. I'm surprised how often people say yes to that second part. They said, I'm too embarrassed to go, but if you would go for me, that would mean a lot to me. Uh, If you're feeling overwhelmed with the problem and you don't know how to handle it, I love it when members call and say, I want to deal with the problem. I don't know what to do. Can you just coach me through it? Uh, If you don't know where to go in Scripture or how to apply Scripture to this particular problem. So I can quote a number of texts for you, but when I started this, I didn't know where to go if depression walked in or adultery walked in or an addiction walked in 
I didn't know where to go to in Scripture. What a great thing to do, to go to an older, more mature Christian or a pastor and say, direct me to where the Bible speaks about this. Uh, if, if, you're, if you're scared that the person is going to do physical or spiritual harm to themselves or others and you feel you need help in slowing them down, if you feel like someone is out of control with their sin, and if you want guidance on how to help someone, all of those are really good reasons to then make sure you have a pastor, elder, counselor involved. So my emphasis here is on you taking responsibility and being in relationships, that's our general category, for you taking responsibility to sticking with it if a friend opens up with a hard thing. But I'm also adding on to it also the, the, the need to bring others in, along who are more equipped and more experienced in it. So we don't have to do this by ourselves. So we do it as a supernatural community. We do it together as a church community. Uh, in terms of confidentiality, the, the, the hard thing about confidentiality is that in our, in, in our culture these days, it's presumed that you will, if someone speaks to you, that you will not ever tell it to anyone else. Strict confidentiality is presumed. You can't do that in a church community. Because of Matthew 18 or 1 Corinthians 5, if someone's in unrepentant sin, you need to be able to bring a second witness. And if they stay persistent in sin, you need to be able to bring it to the elders and say persistent in sin. They need to be able to bring it to the congregation. And sadly, it sometimes ends in church discipline. You think, whoa, that was just a coffee conversation. But yeah, I, I, I never promise strict confidentiality, and so I think you should adopt that too. If someone says, I'm going to tell you something, but you've got to promise to not tell anyone else. You should never do that as a Christian. It boxes you into a corner, and you should never be caught holding someone's unrepentant sin. I just think that's fundamentally unbiblical in terms of how you approach it. So I started with that story of that young lady who was struggling, uh, who was struggling pretty significantly, and the psychiatrist who said, stay out. Well, you know, I, I think years removed from that situation, what, what helped was not me as the pastor of counseling or even their discipler that I talked about, the wife who was involved. I think fundamentally what helped was the community. It was the community that rallied around them and helped them through this. You know, as is often the case in that case, uh, we talked about suicide ideation and a suicide, a suicide case last night. The person was suicidal and going through seasons of suicidal. And after she had made one attempt on her life, she was rushed to the hospital. And I think this was the second or third attempt. She went through a dreadful two or three years of making multiple attempts on her life. And I got the call, as is typical for a pastor of counseling, to go to the hospital. But, you know, it was my delight when I got there to find out that two single women had beaten me there. This is what I think it means to be supernatural community together. When two single women who were close friends heard she had made another attempt, they didn't back away. What they, when they heard the word suicide, which is scary to a lot of people, Instead, what they did is they rushed to the hospital. They beat their pastor there. 
So by the time I got there, they had not only ministered to her and prayed over her and sang with her, but they were playing card games to lighten her spirit. You know what a delight that is to me as their pastor? To see single women rushing to the bedside of a member that's hurting. That's what I mean by supernatural community. We do this as a community together. We fight together for each other's lives. Whether it's suicide or a bad marriage or just a young guy who just doesn't know how to date and one day wants to get married. They're all a part of being community together. And so that's our hope. We want to be invested in other people so that we can help others and do this together as a community. What a beautiful picture that is. When we have a culture of discipling, it's not just one or two people doing this kind of work. There's dozens of us, dozens of us who are investing in others because we understand this is what it means to be a Christian. So let me stop there. That's the main things I wanted to communicate and hand it over to you to see if there's um, any, anything else you want to do to wrap up. And uh, as we're done, obviously when we finish in just a moment, I'll, I'm happy to stick around. If there's a question you didn't get to ask, feel free to come up and pursue me afterwards.